Someone put together a list entitled, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned from Noah's Ark. And here are some items on that list. Number one, Noah didn't wait for a ship to come in. Instead, he built one. Number two, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Number three, stay fit. When you're 500 years old, someone might ask you to do something really, really big. Number four, speed isn't always an advantage. The cheetahs were on board the ark, but so were the snails. Here's one of my favorite. Number five, remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. Number six, no matter how bleak it looks, if God is with you, there's always a rainbow on the other side. And here's the last one. Above all else, do not miss the boat. Today we're beginning a series of messages and they're based on the story of Noah in the Bible. And for the next five weeks, Chris was talking about ocean commotion. Our kids are gonna be looking at the life of Noah and the ark and the flood. And you'll notice that the title of the series is Noah, the real story. That's on your Bible study outline. And here's the reason for that title. There are versions of Noah's life that do not reflect what the Bible says at all. An example of that would be the fairly recent film called Noah, starring Russell Crowe. How many of you saw the film? Now, I watched the film too, and I was, I was impressed by the visual effects. I mean, they were stunning, and there was an all-star cast, but the story they told in this movie was very different from the biblical account in Genesis. In fact, the man who directed and wrote the film, his name is Darren Aronofsky, he told the New Yorker magazine that he, his movie is, and I quote, the least biblical, biblical film ever made. And I would agree with that statement. And that brings us to this question on your outline. Take a look, is the story of Noah and the flood true? Is the story of Noah and the flood true? And Chris was talking about the fact that surveys show that children, even in the fourth and fifth grade, are, are struggling with their faith. They're wondering if they can trust the stories in this book. And if you're a mom or dad, your kids may come to you and say, well, is that true? Was there really a man named Noah? And was there an ark? And how did he get all the animals on there? And they'll have all these questions. I'll tell you this. If anybody from our church, whether they're in fourth or fifth grade or an adult or whatever, came to me and said, Pastor Dudley, do you really believe in Noah and the ark and the flood and all that? I would say, absolutely. And I would give them my top three reasons. Number one is this, because there's compelling scientific evidence for a worldwide flood. A second piece of evidence is this. In over 200 cultures, there are these stories about a worldwide flood. Now, that's remarkable when you think about it. In fact, there are a lot of the details from the biblical account. A lot of those stories include the, the name of a man named Noah or a version of that name. Then, of course, another reason is that the story here in the Bible, this is in Genesis, the story is consistent with the scientific evidence and also with those stories of the flood that we find in so many other cultures. But here is, for me, probably the most compelling reason to believe that the flood actually took place. It's because Jesus believed that the flood took place. He believed in Noah and the ark. And we find that in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says this, he says, when the Son of Man returns, and that's Jesus' favorite title for himself, Son of Man. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came 
and swept them all away. Jesus believed in Noah and the ark and the animals and the flood. And so do I. Now, if we conclude that the story of Noah is true, it brings up a very important question. So what? What does this ancient story have to do with my life and your life? What does it have to do with your, your job? What does it have to do with your family or your future? And here's the answer, everything. And here's why. This story shows us one of God's primary purposes for our life, and that purpose is simply this, to please God. That means that your most important goal, your most important task in life is to figure out what pleases God. And this story shows us how to please God. Now, as the story begins, we see that pleasing God is the last thing that people on earth are concerned about. We're going to pick the story up. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, this is Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth. And notice this next sentence, it broke his heart. One translation says, God's heart was filled with pain. And this is how this passage continues. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Every time I read this passage, I, I think, you know, this has got to be one of the saddest parts of the entire Bible. The whole human race is morally bankrupt. These people that God made because he wanted them to, to know him and to love them, they've turned their back on God. And it is such a, a dark, bleak time in human history. And then as you keep reading the story, you get to verse 8, and there's this ray of light. Because this is what we read in verse 8. But Noah found favor with the Lord. One translation says it this way, Noah was a pleasure to God. So here's the big question this morning. It's on your outline. What can we learn from the story of Noah that will enable us to please God and bring joy to his heart? We're going to talk about five things, and here's the first. Like Noah, we please God when we love him supremely. It pleases God when we love him supremely. Noah loved God more than anything else in the whole wide world. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at this passage from Genesis chapter 9, beginning or chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless per person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Do you know what God wants more than anything else, what brings joy to his heart? Let me just go back, because it's right here in the verse. It says that Noah walked, how? In close fellowship with God. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to live in close connection with him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And church, it just, it just is so amazing to me that this God that is so great and so powerful, the God who created the entire universe, wants to spend time with us. He wants us to know him and to love him and to trust him. And this is why the number one goal of life is really learning to love God and, notice this, learning how to let God love you. And that's why when Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? To love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart and mind and strength and soul. So what pleases God is, well, when we love God 
supremely. Now here's another lesson from the life of, of Noah. Secondly, like Noah, we please God when we trust him completely. When we trust him completely. This next passage is from the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. And it's actually a commentary on the story of Noah and his life. And it says this, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, and notice this next statement, who warned him about things that had never happened before. Now that's a remarkable statement. Do you realize that when God said, Noah, it is gonna rain for 40 days and 40 nights that Noah had never seen rain before? That's because God had watered the earth from the bottom up, from fountains and springs. And so he had to believe that this was actually gonna happen. He'd never seen rain before. And the verse goes on to say this, by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes, how? Two words, by what? By faith. And you know, it took a lot of faith to build the ark. There's no doubt about that. I mean, not only had Noah never seen rain before, but he was hundreds of miles from the closest ocean. He had to build this giant ship on dry land. And not only that, think about this. God said, okay, I want you to round up all these animals. It took a lot of faith to believe that he could do that and that the animals would actually go on board and he could get enough food to feed them for all these weeks. You know, I think if God had come to me and said, Dudley, I want you to build me an ark, I would have had a few questions. What about you? Think you would have had a few questions? Um, God, are you sure this is really a good idea? God, maybe there's somebody else better suited for this job. Why are you choosing me? But from this account, we see that Noah doesn't ask any questions. And Noah doesn't make any excuses. And he doesn't complain, God, this is too hard. Instead, he trusts God completely. And how does God respond? God is pleased. So what does that mean for us? Well, simply this, that God wants us to trust him completely. I know that some of you right now are going through some big challenges in your life. What does God want you to do? He wants you to trust him completely. Because we all know that sometimes we have no idea what God is up to. We don't know the answer to the reason why is this happening. Not just to us, but to the people that we love and care about. And God says, listen, I've got this. I want you to trust me completely. And friends, when we do, it pleases God. Let me ask you this. Does anybody know how long it took to build the ark? Whoa, good answer. 120 years. Somebody after the first service said, I don't get that. How could it take 120 years? Because the person didn't realize that Noah lived 600 plus years. So that was a part of his lifetime. But imagine this. Um, do you think that Noah ever got tired and discouraged during that time building the ark? Well, of course he did. Do you ever think he um, was just criticized um, for being a nut job? Well, absolutely. You know, here's this guy who hears voices from God and he's decided to build his giant boat. And not only that, what about his family, his wife, his sons, their wives? They were all a part of this. And what I find remarkable is this, that Noah got up every single day and he went to work because he trusted God completely. Now, if you're a parent this morning, here's a question. How does it make you feel when your kids trust you completely? When they believe what you tell them completely, how does that make you feel? Good or bad? It makes you feel really good. It, it makes you joyful. And friends, I want you to see that that's exactly the reaction that God has when we actually trust him completely. And that leads us to another way to please God. And it's number three on your outline. Like Noah, we please God when we obey him 
wholeheartedly. And the two are connected. When you trust God, that leads to obeying God. Now, one of the things that we learn about God in this story is that when God gives you instructions, those instructions are very clear and very specific. I mean, God didn't say, hey, Noah, uh, I want you to build this really big boat for you and your family and the animals. And listen, just kind of build whatever you like, you know, whatever you think will get the job done. God didn't do that. God was very specific. In fact, if you've got a, an older version of the, of the Bible here, an older translation, it doesn't give you the dimensions of the ark in feet. It gives them in what? Do you know? Cubits. Do you know how big a cubit is? It's the measurement from your elbow to your middle finger. That's, that's a cubit. It's about 18 inches. And here's a, a slide. This actually has one calculation of the dimensions of the ark. Now, it was 300 cubits long. So that's 437 feet approximately. How long is a football field? 100 yards, so how many feet? 300 feet. So this ship is a football field and a half long. Now you just start thinking about that. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's huge. And how wide is it? Well, it's about 73 feet wide and 45 feet high. And you know, God told Noah exactly what wood to use to build the ark. And he said, I want you to waterproof it. You know, put tar on the inside and the outside. I want a roof on the top. And I want the roof and the upper deck to be um, 18 inches apart. You know, one cupid apart. There's, there's three decks. I want you to put the door in the side. God was really specific. And what does Noah do? Does he say, well, you know, God, boy, that's a lot of uh, information. I'll just do the best I can. We'll see how it turns out. If you have your Bible, look at verse 22. This is a very, very powerful verse. It says this, So Noah did everything, and what's the next word? Exactly as God had commanded him. And how did this make God feel? Pleased. Joyful. Noah trusted God completely, and Noah obeyed God wholeheartedly. You know, Noah didn't say, Well, God, you know, I'm not sure I should do that. I need some time to think about it and pray about it. <laughs> he just obeyed God without reservation and without hesitation. So what does that mean for us? Pretty straightforward, isn't it? How does God want us to obey him? Same way. Because here's the reality. We often offer God partial obedience. We know that there are commands that God gives us in the Bible about how to live. And there are some that we like, some that are maybe easier for us. And so we're willing to obey those commands. But the other ones, you know, the ones that are difficult or unpopular or maybe politically incorrect we're not sure we want to actually obey those commands it's like the person who says okay God I tell you what I will come to church every Sunday that I possibly can but when it comes to tithing God that's just that's unreasonable or the guy who says I will go to the Saturday morning men's breakfast and I will I'll just be a part of that but God you know that guy that stabbed me in the back I am not going to forgive him I know you want me to but I just I can't do it just too hard. Or, or the student who, um, who says, you know what, God, I'll go to youth group. I'll even go on the missions trip this year. But God, when it comes to saving sex for marriage, when it comes to what I watch on my computer, I'll call the shots there, okay? Now, here's a hard truth. Partial obedience is disobedience. And every parent knows that, right? When you, when you tell your kids, hey, I want you to do this, do you want them to obey you completely or just do a part of what you say? See, it works the same way with God, and it raises this question. Do you think that obedience is a big deal to God? Yeah, it's a really big deal. Why is that the case? Why is God 
so insistent that we actually obey him completely. And here's a reason. Because when you obey God, it proves that you love God. Jesus said that very directly. He said, if you love me, do what I say. Obey my commands. And that's a very important thing that we can do to please God and bring joy to his heart. Well, here's number four. Like Noah, we please God when we thank him continually. Now, many of you know the story of Noah and the ark. Does Noah build the ark? Yeah, he gets the job done. Do the animals go on the ark? Yes. Um, does God close the door? Which is a great detail, that God actually closes the door himself. And what about the rain? Does it last for 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah. And does everybody get wiped out? Yeah. And now there's just Noah and his wife and his three boys and their wives. Eight people survive the flood. So what's the first thing that Noah does when he finally gets off the ark? Here, here's what we read. This is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that have been approved for that purpose. And how does God respond to this offering? It says in the next verse, the Lord was what? He was pleased. The Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, now, this gives us a window into the heart of God. This is what God is saying to himself. I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. And notice this next statement. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from what? Childhood. You've heard me say this many times when I talk about the bad news, that we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his plan and his purposes. Where does that idea come from? From God himself. That is the condition of our hearts. But notice the promise that God makes here. I will never again destroy all living things. God rescues Noah and his family through this flood. Now let me ask you this. If you have an opportunity to help somebody out, to, to rescue them, and they come back to you and say, thank you, and I couldn't have made it without you, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel appreciated. It brings joy to your heart, and that's true of God as well. And, and church, one of the things that, that we learn as we read through the story in the book, especially the Old Testament, is that God often has a broken heart, and his heart is broken by his people. Because over and over again, this God who made people so that they could know him and love him, these same people just disregard God. They forget about God. They don't praise God. They don't thank God. And God is hurt by that. So what does that tell us well simply this that if we want to please God if we want to bring joy to his heart we need to be intentional about thanking God now let me give you a very practical way to do that how many of you eat every day I hope your hands going up because if you don't you're going to be in trouble how many times a day do you eat just tell me just say it or raise your fingers okay I see some people saying two I, okay ten <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we eat all the time throughout the day, many of us. And I, I've always thought this was kind of cool how God designed our bodies because, I mean, for me, I have to eat n numerous times throughout the day. And God could have made us like bears. And you know how bears eat, right? They just eat like this ton of food so they can do what? They hibernate. They go for months and they don't eat. So God didn't make us like bears. He made us so that we eat, you know, several times a day. And here's why I believe that's the case. This is just my own thought on this is so that we will have the opportunity to stop and say, thank you, God. 
Thank you for providing this food. It's a time for us to remember that God is our provider. A time to remember too, and we often do this in our family, to pray for those who don't have food and to figure out what God wants us to do about that. But it's an opportunity to be thankful to God. Now, what would happen if throughout the day you were looking for ways to thank God? How many of you know what the, uh, the letters B-O-L-O stand for? Be on the lookout. And this is a great way to live. Be on the lookout for ways to thank God because you can wake up in the morning and you can say, God, thank you. Man, it was great to get some sleep last night. God, thank you that I'm able to stand up. Thank you that I can walk. Thank you that I can talk. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you for breakfast. God, thank you for a job to go to. Thank you for my family. Throughout the day, you have all these opportunities to stop and say, hey, thank you, God. This, this past week, on Friday, I was having a, a stressful morning, and that's because when I first woke up, you know, I said, God, thanks for, you know, sleeping last night, and thank you for a new day and the adventure and the uh, challenge that will come into the day. And the first thing that happened, I went to my computer and realized that a virus had hijacked my computer. I couldn't find any of my files, and I was going to work on the message this morning. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is not good. But I had a really um, early appointment, so I went to breakfast, and so I have this breakfast appointment. I'm driving back home, and my wife calls me and says, Hey, Dudley, how are you doing? <laughs> so, well, I'm having a pretty stressful morning, and here's why, because the computer has been hijacked by this virus. And she goes, Well, listen, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And by the time I got home, I went and looked at my computer, and there was the missing file right there. And the first thing I did was, Thank you, God, for my wife. Thank you for Chris. Thank you that she cares about me. Thank you that you made her really smart. And she could figure this out. But friends, that is such a great way to live, to always be on the lookout for ways that you can thank God. Because listen, God is always at work. Do you realize that? He's at work around us all the time. He's working through other people. He's working in us. There are all these reasons to give thanks. And here's what happens. When you live that way, it not only brings joy to the heart of God, it changes you. It makes you a more thankful person. It makes you a more joyful person as you respond to God's grace in your life. Well, let me give you the last reason, reason number five, a way to bring joy to God's heart. Like Noah, we please God when we use our abilities for his purposes. When we use our abilities for his purposes. Now, Noah certainly used his abilities to build the ark. He had some carpentry skills, and so he worked along with his sons. They built the ark. And what about afterwards? What, a, what about the time that he leaves the ark? Well, God is starting over with the human race, and God wants Noah and his family to use their abilities for him. And God says this to Noah. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, if you think about it, that's really an echo of what God says to Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Genesis story. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so, in a, in a sense, God is just saying to to Noah, listen, you need to get on with your life and do what you've been created to do. Noah, go home and make love to your wife. Noah, have babies, have um, a garden, grow food, build your house, take care of your family. And from that, here's what we understand. Anytime we do what God's created us to do, with the exception of sin, because he didn't create us to do that, it brings joy to the heart of God. Let me ask you this. Do you think God is pleased with what we're doing right now? This is an easy question, okay? Just shake your head yes if you think so. Well, of course. God is pleased when we come together and worship him and learn what his word has to say. Do you think God is pleased when you, when you pray, when you really are pouring out your heart to God? Well, of course God is. 
All right, what about when you go to work? If you get up and go to work tomorrow, is God pleased that you got up and went to work? Yeah, yeah, he is, because you're using your abilities for him. What about this? Is God pleased when you take your kids to the zoo? What do you think? Yeah, um, is God pleased when you play golf? Yeah, sure, as long as you're not doing it when you should be in church, right? <laughs> but here's how we sometimes think. You know, God is pleased when I do spiritual stuff, and that's true, but there is not a division between the sacred and the secular. It's one world ru ruled by one God. And so whenever you are doing what God created you to do, when you're doing it for him and with him, God is pleased. Now let me just conclude with this thought. It's actually a question. And I believe this is a question that can just shift the perspective of your entire life. And it's moving from, from this first question to a second question. Now here's the first question. How can I get more pleasure out of my life? That's the way that many people are living. How can I get more pleasure out of my life? But what if instead of that question, you ask this question? How can my life bring more pleasure to God? Big difference, isn't there? And there's a, a really direct verse. This is in the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, where he says this. He says, figure out, figure out what pleases Christ, and then do it. Friends, the world was a mess during the days of Noah. Is the world a mess now? Yeah, in many ways it is. Our nation, the United States of America, is in trouble, serious trouble. If you've watched any of the election coverage, you know that. And yet we know this as well, that God is still looking for people like Noah, people who want to please God with their lives. People who are willing to stand up for God, for what is right, for what is true. And God makes a promise to people like that. It's found in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 6, verse 19. And this is what it says. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Think about that. The eyes of the Lord, this is going on right now. The eyes of the Lord search the entire earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that verse that really does encourage us because, Lord, we know that you're looking for people like that. And God, the reality is that we can't make ourselves full of faith. We can't make ourselves totally committed to you, but you can. And so, God, we're so thankful this morning for your grace, this grace that enables us to trust you, to obey you, to believe that, that you're really in charge and that you really care. And, Father, this morning as we celebrate communion together, as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made, God, I pray that, that we would think about this, that, that Jesus was totally and completely committed to us and that because of that, he calls us to be committed to him and, Lord, committed to you and to each other. And so, Lord, once again, as we, we celebrate what Jesus has done, his great love, I pray that you would help us to experience your love and to pass that love on to each other. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.